You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 42, take two. Shut up. <laughs> I am your host, Michael Kist. <laughs> you threw me off, too. Brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Follow me at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the doggone best co-host in the game. Up for debate right now. <laughs> Eight-year streak without a bad day. He's Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Nice to see you again. All right, so if anybody missed the very subtle innuendo, there is a chance that I forgot to hit record when we started recording the show. But we only got like 10 minutes in, so you can calm down, honey. Okay, it wasn't that bad. We had some great Lava takes. We had some great Portillo's takes. Both places I very much enjoy. Our Wawa and Portillo's takes were that they're good. Those aren't great takes. We're just like, man, these places are tasty. Yeah, but we got into the nuance of like, you know, this time of year, you you like your peppermint coffee. I like my turkey bowl with the cranberry sauce at Wawa. Okay. I thought it was all very well done and If elegant. you are interested in the chain convenience slash little food grocery whatever coffee places that we go to you can hit us up on twitter and we will tell you that information so you have it so you can send us starbucks and wawa gift cards for the holiday season see what i did there i like that very good transition ben i like how you saved that so unfortunately we started getting into talking about this game so we're going to do it again ben we are going to go over this injury report we were recording on thursday morning by the way Mm -hmm. Uh, ben i'm letting you you don't have to look at me like that i'm letting you go i'm moving on we're 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 gonna are you because that was the fourth reference to it so i just wanted to let you know (laughs) that you've made four i just wanted to make sure you were up to up to date on that you know i got got a minimum of five so i got one more coming your way throughout the minimum usually we set a ceiling on these things not a floor yeah well my the ceiling is the roof i don't know does that apply i'm not Uh sure Mike Jordan. There it is. (laughs) So we got to go through the injury report from Wednesday. Again, we're recording on Thursday morning. So uh, the next BGN radio show will have a more up-to-date report on what happened today. But for right now, this is what we're dealing with. On Wednesday, did not participate for the Philadelphia Eagles. Ronald Darby, of course, with his knee, just hadn't been put on IR yet. Jalen Mills with his foot, which could be a big deal. Defensive tackle Haluri Nato, who was dealing with an with a calf earlier in the year, is now dealing with a knee, the 34-year-old defensive tackle. Tight end Joshua Perkins suffered a significant 
knee injury, according to Doug Peterson, is going to miss a lot of time, probably the rest of the season, if I could uh, take a guess. Running back Darren Sproles, obviously with the hamstring, did not participate. Limited participation. Offensive tackle Lane Johnson, please come back. I just dropped a piece on BleedingGreenNation.com about how the Eagles are having to game plan around Halapuli Vatuvaitai because they have to give him so much help, and it's hampering what the offense can do from a schematic standpoint. So we hope yep. that he's back dealing with the MCL sprain. Also, Sidney Jones with the hamstring was a limited participant. Please come back, Sydney. This defensive secondary is a mess. Speaking of it being a mess, we had a little scare when I saw on Twitter that there was a picture of Malcolm Jenkins with a cast on his hand. Apparently, he's dealing with a wrist injury. However, it looks like he will be playing. His status is not in question. At least that's what it looks like. Ben, it would be catastrophic with what this secondary is dealing with right now. And as we talk about this, the main topic of the show is going to be the Saints offense against the Eagles defense. This ties in well with that. But if Malcolm Jenkins, can you imagine what it would be if Malcolm Jenkins was out for us? We destroy the franchise. We we, we put seven (laughs) defenders on the field. We just say, listen, we're not even playing with the secondary. All right. Because that would be better defense than putting out Chandon Sullivan, Rasul Douglas, Trey Sullivan and Corey Graham. Literally, how okay. <laughs> if they put if they put that secondary out, so 32, 39, 37, and 24, your average Eagle fan recognizes how many of those players? Oh geez, man. One or like two, maybe? Probably, probably it's like a little bit more than two. Because you have like most guys can recognize Sewell and Corey Graham, and then a few people are getting Trey Sullivan. No right. one's gonna know who Shannon Sullivan is. So right. yeah, like like sixty percent of that secondary will be recognized by the average Eagle fan. Which I'm not even trying to like disparage Eagle fans and say y'all don't know the team. We're simply playing two guys who are practice squatters at some point this year, and one dude who's been injured for a super long period of time and just came back, and then the other one is Sewell, who I think everybody knows because he's Sewell. So yeah, that would be DefCon eleven, especially because also no one would know who defensive tackle seventy four is. Because listen, if we didn't know, only T Y McGill's mom. Knew that that's who that was. <laughs> Nobody else did. It's that's funny too because uh, I was I started to watch the tape of the Cowboys game and I messaged you in a Slack and I'm like, "Yo, who's 74? Is that McGill?" <laughs> and you're like, "Yes, yes, it is." And it was because just, literally during the game, I tweeted out like, "Does anybody know McGill's first name?" Like, this because I don't. Like, yeah. I can't find it anywhere. Oh, he was really, really bad. But I don't really know what else we expected, but it was still sad. So if Jenkins needs to use my hand or arm or whatever he needs, he can. Because otherwise, we're taking down the metaphorical Bleeding Green Nation banner. We're putting up an NFL banner. We're just going to be an NFL podcast. Okay. Transitioning over to the Saints injuries. Uh, Note that's relevant and dovetails nicely with the main topic of this show. Uh, Saints offense equals defense, obviously. The Saints are second in pro football focuses, pass blocking efficiency metric. Breeze has only been pressured 25% of the time. This has led to them being the most, or excuse me, the fourth most efficient passing offense per football outsiders DVOA, which measures efficiency. Also the eighth best rush offense. This is the first game of the year, though, that they are going to be without stud left tackle Teron Armstead who was playing out of his mind at left tackle for them, playing some really good football for them. He's going to be replaced by the journeyman veteran, Jermon Bushrod. Also limited with a knee was right tackle Ryan Ramchek, the 24-year-old second-year man out of Wisconsin, who I loved coming out in the draft. And, you know, he's not Armstead, but he has been really, really, really good for them this year. Also, left guard Andrews Pete dealing with a hip 
he was limited. So the Saints are concerned about the banged-up line and took extra precautionary measures on Wednesday. You've got Max Unger, the aforementioned Bushrod, and then also Larry Warford. Uh, They were limited in practice, but it was a choice to limit their practice. It was not injury-related. Obviously, they want to try to keep this line as healthy as possible. Ben, uh, your take on this injury report for either team. I was so pleasantly surprised to watch the Saints offensive film and realize that not dissimilarly to the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles, you know, Drew Brees gets rightfully a ton of credit for having an insane season and we're going to get there. Uh, you know, uh, the, the running backs are playing very well. Obviously, Kamara and Ingram get a ton of attention and Kamara was a recent pick and he was, you know, offensive rookie of the year last year. And so gets warranted attention. Michael Thomas playing out of his doggone mind. Incredible stats. Can't wait to talk about what he's doing. But simply the offensive line is the unit that makes this team go. Uh, you don't complete over 70% of your passes as a quarterback if you're barely getting pressured, as you alluded to. Listen, this Rams team, I didn't even realize, runs the ball the third highest percentage among all, all teams in the league. You know, the, Drew Brees is an MVP candidate. You said the Rams team? The Saints team runs the ball, Michael. The Rams do it the fifth most in the league, by the way, which is the conversation we'll have when we play the Rams, yeah. right? But these teams who are Jared Goff, MVP candidate, you know, Drew Brees, MVP candidate, they're running the ball at a much higher click than a lot of other teams are, you know what I mean? And if you look at the top of, like, uh, the pass attempts, right, number one by far is the New York Giants. Hmm. Drafted running back, number two overall. Hmm. Well, anyway, New It's Orleans, not to use them as a dynamic receiver anyway. It's all checkdowns, but go ahead. New Orleans is running the ball. At a uh, 46% click, that's tied for third third highest in the league, only behind uh, Tennessee and Seattle. So this is a team that is doing a, a vast multitude of different running schemes and different ideas, using their personnel very, very, very well in terms of they get two back sets out into the field. They obviously use Taysom Hill in some funny ways. And they've got multiple yeah. tight end sets that they bring out. Wow, it sounds like multiple tight end sets are really effective, Ben. Yeah, they are. Thanks for asking. I love multiple tight end sets. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> this is a team that works uh, unbalanced line sets in on you. They do a ton of different things. They'll give you a lot of looks. The trap wham that Philadelphia likes to use. They love to get um, uh, Max Unger, their center, Andrews Pete, their left guard. Two guys who I think are pretty good on the hoof. They'll get them moving. Uh, and, and then right tackle Ryan Ramchick, who's the second-year player at Wisconsin, is, is an athletic guy who has good experience in space as well. So they can get those guys moving. Crack toss. Uh, they were in G lead. It's a lot of very Duo. fun. Yeah, they yeah. run a lot, of, a lot of very fun, isolation-y stuff. And again, I love the way they use Kamara in the running game because I don't think Kamara is the best inside runner in the world. And so they give him a lot of more uh, looks where it's basically similar space looks to what you would get like as on a swing pass or a screen pass. You know, you get him out there on G lead or crack toss. He's reading like two blocks and he's got a ton of room to work. And that's where he's at his best. Uh, and so their running game. You know, it, 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 oh, it's the classic situation of, you know, what's Jim Schwartz defense always going to try to do? It's always going to try to get plus one in the box. The Saints are very willing to go heavy on you. So to keep in a tight end and two running backs, force you to put eight in the box and then leave your two corners out on islands and a deep safety. And once they get Michael Thomas on an island against any Philadelphia <laughs> corner, regardless of who's healthy or who's not, it's mm. trouble. Right, and this is how smart teams have attacked the Eagles so far this year. Go heavy, isolate your receivers in space, force Philadelphia into a deep cover one, and then beat beat the corners in man coverage. And that's what you should expect the Saints to do pretty heavily. But it starts with the running game. Very effective. Yeah. I mean, you you saw that too. It's not just heavy to isolate Thomas, which they'll do, and they'll do it in the, in the red zone. They'll throw in the comebacks, the curls, the slants, and everything like that. They'll also go five wide, and they'll put him next to Kamara. And they either stack them or they have them like, you know, real close to each other. And defenses have to make a choice. 
And you saw the Los Angeles Rams make the choice of they were going to put an extra focus on Alvin Kamara. And next thing you know, you get that slot fade route from Michael Thomas, and he's off to the races one-on-one with Marcus Peters without any help and a big score for the Saints. So there's so much that they do for just mixing things up formationally and giving you the same look, but having four or five different really unique things that they can do with it. You know, life after Ted Ginn has caused them to use Alvin Kamara more as a wide receiver. He leads the league in frequency of slot reps for running backs at 18.5%. They use them outside a lot too. So Ben, you look at the Saints offense, and one of the things that you want to do is look at games where they perform below their normal success level. Right now, they are leading the league in scoring. So two games stand out when you look at it just face value. Week two against the Cleveland Browns, where they scored 21 points. Week seven against the Baltimore Ravens, where they scored only 24 points. Those are the only two games where they went under 30 points as an offense. Now, there's a major problem with this beyond the particulars of those two games. First up is the fact that the Ravens game was played outside for his career in a dome versus playing outside. Breeze completes five more five percent more of his passes, has a twelve point higher QB rating, and almost a full yard more of yards per attempt, averages sixty more yards per game, and has a much better touchdown to interception ratio. Going further than that, a study done by Pinnacle.com a couple of years ago took a look at league wide scoring from two thousand three to two thousand fifteen and found that dome and retractable roof venues averaged 3.8 more points per game, and the correlation was found to be strong enough that during that same period, Vegas averaged three points higher with their over-unders when a game was being played in a dome. It makes a difference. By the way, this game is being played in a dome. And a dialing back dome. to those two, Yeah, this, you would even call it a superdome. And I dialing back to those two games against the Browns, and the Ravens, which had relatively low scoring outputs, the Ravens and Browns are both top 10 DVOA defenses per football outsiders. The Saints were also in scoring position against the Ravens in five of their only seven drives. One of them was a 10-minute drive that got stuffed on fourth and one, shortly followed by a Ravens drive that left it, lasted seven and a half minutes and yielded a field goal. So that's about 18 minutes with a total of three-point score between both teams. So it's not that the Ravens, quote-unquote, stopped the Saints. The clock stop the Saints. And the Saints also scored 17 of their 24 points in the second half. And by the way, the Saints also lead the league in second half scoring. So there's that too. In the Browns game, week two, first drive for the Saints ended in a fumble by Michael Thomas. And we often talked about how counting on those just isn't sustainable. The next drive, the Saints march down, get a touchdown on a play that is almost exactly like the play that Ezekiel Elliott scored on instead of being a pass to the flat. It was a touch pass. But same idea, same misdirection, and a similar deception is something that we've struggled with this year. You wrote about it for BleedingGreenNation.com, but that play is called back on what I thought was a ticky-tack holding call, so they have to settle for a field goal. So they started slowly there. And look, these are the types of breaks, and this is kind of my point, that the Eagles are going to need. Ben, the third drive, third drive of this game, Ted Ginn fumbles, and it was a hustle play to knock it out and a hustle play to recover. And that's what the Eagles are going to need. All those little things. And they've gone wrong for us a lot this year, and that's part of the problem. But if we're being honest with ourselves, and I think we are as a fan base, I think we recognize this defense is in trouble and the Saints are rolling. 
we're going to need help from these types of plays, from these types of breaks. If we get them, we have to capitalize because you don't get many gifts against this Saints team. I had to dig real deep for those. Look how far I had to dig just to get you some defenses that quote unquote slowed them down. And there were very good reasons for it. But to really emphasize this, I think as a fan base, we had this idea that teams were going to roll over for us. And now we have this idea that we're going to roll over for the Saints. Somebody needs to make an impact play early because the defense has not done it consistently this year. They haven't put multiple plays together this year. They haven't gotten the big stop where they needed it, especially not in multiples. And we can talk scheme and we can talk X's and O's and what coverages to deploy against what alignments because of tendency and all that jazz. And it's all great. And I love doing it, but screw all that for a moment. Play with your hair on fire. Go make an impact play early that changes the landscape of this game and see what happens. Eagles were gigantic favorites over the Cowboys. Saints are gigantic favorites over the Eagles. Sometimes teams outplay other teams. I am waiting just once, just once this season for that to be the case in a dogfight against a good football team with this Philadelphia Eagles football team. Go be that team against the Saints. Go be the team that won a Super Bowl that just kicks the dog crap out of the other team and out hustles them. And if we laid down, then sorry, Peter King, you are going to hear a lot more booing throughout this season. And quite frankly, the fans aren't wrong for it. So Ben, also fourth possession of the Browns game, a 44-yard missed field goal. You need those breaks. At this point, I will take lucky over good any day of the week. Be in a position to make a play when you have a chance to be lucky. Ben, the floor is yours, pal. No, I absolutely agree in the sense that as a as a as a uh, good teams are more lucky typically than than we like to admit. Bad teams are typically more unlucky than we like to admit, simply because yeah. we want to be able to have reasons for things. You know, if there are no reasons for how teams perform, we don't have jobs. So there, we kind of need that to be the case. But there's obviously there's more fortune to it than we like. A, you know, game of inches, and we we deny that. We kind of smooth that over in our heads to make it a neater correlation, so we can feel good about ourselves. If you want to subscribe to that idea, Mike, uh, Philadelphia is a nine-point underdog, opened as a seven-and-a-half-point underdog, currently a nine by the last lines I saw. They have not yet lost a game this year by more than one possession, and I'm pretty sure you would have to go all the way back deep into last year to find a game which they lost by more than one possession, especially was when Mark the, Carson was playing. Was the Chief, Well, they, they got their garbage touchdown against the Chiefs in week two. So, okay, so they lost to Seattle by two touchdowns. Oh, there you go, yeah. They lost to Seattle by two touchdowns. That is the that only the game in the yeah. last two years that Carson Wentz has lost by more than a touchdown. So, if you want to sell yourself the idea that this will at least be close, that there will, there will be a fourth quarter you know, a chance for Philadelphia to potentially make things interesting. I mean, yeah, Philadelphia has typically done that. Obviously, they're going up against New Orleans, which I don't think there's a team in the league right now playing better football than New Orleans. Simply put, I think New Orleans is playing the best football in the league over Kansas City, over Los Angeles. Boom, there it is. But Philadelphia plays teams close. Now, if they're close, uh, then you're back into a situation where Carson Wentz may have another game-winning, game-tying slash game-winning fourth-quarter drive opportunity. Carson's like one and eight or something like that. He's like two and thirteen, and those such like bad, really bad numbers. So I'd love for him to get one under his belt. I don't know if it'll come against the New Orleans Saints. It'd be crazy if it did. Uh, but you'd like for him to be able to start winning those, and you you kind of worry about him when he's in those situations because that's not where he's been strong. In terms of this this New Orleans offense and what it's able to do to you in the passing game, 
Obviously, they're trying to bring in a guy like Des Bryant because they don't have super great depth at the wide receiver position as we speak. Well, Ted Ginn is out. Yeah. Cameron Meredith is out. And I think they were trying to replace Meredith with Des, and then Des went down with the Achilles injury. Exactly. So right now, it's Michael Thomas who's playing at an unbelievable clay. (laughs) Traquan Smith, rookie at a UCF, who is good, in my opinion, but, you know, is a third round rookie, wide receiver too, it makes sense. And then they got Austin Carr, the second. Uh, second year undrafted free agent type uh, UDFA out of Northwestern, just a smaller slot guy who, you know, kind of. I thought you were, not, for not, a second, I thought you were going to say the second coming of Wes Welker. And I was like, whoa, high praise from Ben. Didn't see this no, coming. No, is, 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 is the type, <laughs> okay, I'll put it to you this way. The type where Northwestern fans watched him and said, oh, he's probably going to be Wes Welker at the NFL level. And the rest of us watched him and said, well, if he was quick, that would help. But he's <laughs> not. Let's channel on Michael Thomas, Mike. Yeah, God. Wow. Michael Thomas has not caught, I believe, it's two passes that have been thrown his way so far this year. Let me find his updated catch rate. Hang on. I know from the slot, he has failed to catch two, I believe it is. Yeah, 32 targets, 30 receptions. What's his overall (laughs) catch rate? Let me go find it. Hang on. It's absurd. It's record-breaking. His red zone numbers are high, too. Okay, so Mike Tanier just tweeted it out. Lucky. Mm -hmm. Michael Thomas, 90% of his targets for the Saints, higher catch rate than Kamara, Michael Thomas could drop his next 10 targets and he would still have the highest single season catch rate for a wide receiver. Ben, get this. In the red zone, he's second in the NFL in red zone targets behind Alvin Kamara, by the way, who's caught 16 passes in the red zone. Michael Thomas has caught 18 of his 15 targets in the red zone for six touchdowns. When things are supposed to be more difficult for the offense. Saints tweeted this out two days ago. Through nine games... Tied for number one in receptions with 78. Tied, number one in catch rate at 90%. Number two in receiving yards. Number two in receiving yards per game. Number two in first downs. Five in receiving touchdowns. And 10 in targets. So he's going to set an NFL record for <laughs> catch rate while being top 10 in pure targets in the league. Which is Can we insane. talk about that? Can we talk about that? Yeah, right, so like, that's special. Top 10 amount of volume, but also he's <laughs> going to catch more balls per target than anybody else in history. Here's my favorite. Here's my favorite stat that I found about Michael Thomas, because they like mm. to use Thomas in the slot a lot, right? Yeah. And they run the slop route with him, and the slop route is, is a fantastic route. Uh, and slop route is slot option is what it stands for. And basically, Thomas gets matched up on somebody who has no business playing him, typically a worse nickel corner, or if you're in zone, it's like a safety or some nonsense. And he has the option to break left, right, or up, depending on where where he likes the leverage and what safety he reads. And Drew Brees can basically hit him in any window, right? So even like Thomas will make the wrong read or like like the Bengals would trap the the Thomas slop route. The Bengals would pull their uh pull their corner down and try to trap that outside cut. And Brees would throw it anyway and just hit it because he's Drew Brees, right? This is why it's like not fair. Like Thomas ran like not the wrong route, but like the Bengals were ready for it. And Brees was like, yeah, well, screw you. Uh, so Michael Thomas from the slot. He's third in the league right now in receiving percentage with 93.8, okay? Uh Only beaten by Brandon Cooks and DeAndre Hopkins. Go on. I'm looking at it. He also leads the league in yards per route run from the slot. So we're talking about a guy. 4.36 yards per route run. I just pulled this up. That's insane. That's insane. Scream it from a mountaintop. That's wild. Dude, and that's 96 snaps. 96 snaps. (laughs) Mike, 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 Mike. He leads the league in target percentage. From the slot. 33.3. So 
So, so when he's lined in the slot, nobody's getting targeted more. Nobody's generating more yards per route, and nobody's yeah. catching the ball more frequently except for two people, Brandon Cooks and DeAndre Hopkins, who are both kind of good. I don't know if you heard. He yeah. like like if you wanted to illustrate how to dominate a position, you'd be like, okay, well, get more targets than anybody else there per snap. Uh, get more yards per route than anybody else there per snap, and don't drop any more balls than anybody else. And Michael Thomas is like, okay, I will do all three. Sounds good. <laughs> That's bananas. That's wild. I can't believe that as I'm looking that up. That that is that is crazy. And and what they do with him and Kamara together, it's just it's a pain, dude. Like like we talked about before. What do you do if you're the Eagles defense when you see that they've got five wide and you you've got two slot guys, which are Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, and they're in a stack, and you know one of those guys is going to get your linebacker in coverage. Safeties can't cover Alvin Kamara. Nobody can cover Michael Thomas. Who who do you bracket? Who do you put the attention on? And what are you giving up because of it? I mean, that's that's to right. me is the big problem with dealing with this offense is right. you can't be vanilla against them. They're going to force you out of it. You're going to have to do something special. They're just going to toast you all day. They're going to be right. so efficient against you all day that there's again, this is not a deep shot defense. But even when they do, Breeze is 16 for for 26 on deep balls with four touchdowns out of quarterbacks with at least 30 deep ball pass attempts. Drew Brees has the highest quarterback rating on deep passes in the league at 117.4. So it's not even just the short stuff either. We talked about they don't do it much. They do it at a very low frequency. But when they do, they can crush you. And by the way, Taysom Hill, I don't know if you saw it, came in on third down. I think it was last week and threw a 44-yard pass too off play action, which is wild. Taysom Hill, let me tell you, (laughs) screw Taysom Hill. Let me tell you why I screw Taysom Hill. The Saints, if you chart their personnel, have 26 different personnel groupings it's which wild. is illegal <laughs> which literally is against the law like i can i would say the average nfl team has nine yeah that would be Tops. my guess like probably and, and and like you'll see like you'll you'll get these these personnel frequency breakdowns right and you'll see like 62 percent here for 11 personnel 20 percent here for 12 and then you get like the little str- stragglers like okay they go four wide receivers you know with one running back like maybe two percent yeah. of the time and two running backs with 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 one tight end maybe one percent of the, the saints are all over the place with it they're so they're the like we talked about the carolina panthers offense being real like diverse and creative and so on and so forth this saints offense does so much that you have to prepare for and then you throw in a backup quarterback that that can throw the ball at at a high enough level that you have to respect it yeah there's such a problem to game plan for i would be sleepless if i was jim schwartz sleepless in schwartz right sleepless so in jim that's schwartz so, schwartz. so what are we so right so you said in the sense that how do you how are you able to stop this and breeze can still throw it deep and, and, and whatever they obviously have a great offensive line and they don't uh, surrender a lot of pressures the kind of blanket solution like the kind of the idea is you have to move into fire zone and zone blitzes that's what you have to expect you can't match up on them man on man the browns did it and the browns got a couple of sacks on third downs in key situations right. you have to you need to be able to zone blitz the scary thing is zone blitz leaves you very susceptible to the run so you really only can do it in key passing situations how frequently get can you get into key passing situations against this team Right. You have to be able to stop the run on first down very well, but what happens if they start throwing it on first down and you kind of lose tendency in that regard? And so you got to call your zone blitzes very timely. You're probably going to get bit by a couple of them, and that can't make you skittish. You got to be able to come back to them. When you zone blitz, you got to go five, five, you send five, drop six, three under, three over is what you got to yep. look like, especially because you're going to be getting option routes from. Thomas, you're going to get any option routes from Camara underneath as well. And so you need to drop into those zones and then very quickly get connected, which is 
an insanely difficult ask. And and when you drop into zone blitzes, very often, like, you know, the whole idea behind zone blitz is like, oh, look, we're sending a, a corner and a linebacker and dropping a defensive end. Look at us. We're crazy. Yeah, well, that defensive right. end is going to be the guy who's covering Alvin freaking Kamara. So, like, this is not <laughs> as great of a situation as it seems. Right. So, are you going to be zone blitzing and you're still going to be sending your four down linemen? Because that lessens your ability to be creative. And now you have to incorporate twists and those take more time. But your schema to defeating that that saints attack that can be very quick and can be very multiple and can be very high percentage is going to be zone blitzes so that breeze doesn't know where pressure is coming from at the snap and so you get guys dropping into zones they don't expect that would be number one number two we talked about cincinnati trapping the slot option route the slop route Philadelphia ran a lot of cover three cloud against the Cowboys. I think it's something that right. you're likely to see again. When we say cover three cloud, what are we talking about? Cover three is typically this idea that there's a deep middle of the field safety, and then your two outside corners also have deep third responsibilities. So if you were to read the deep thirds, it would go corner, safety, corner from like left to right. That's cover three sky. You've got one safety. He's that deep middle defender. Cover three cloud is an adjustment where the zones are the same, but different players get into them. And it allows right. you to disguise your cover three look at the snap to make mm-hmm. it more difficult for quarterbacks to read if your middle of the field will be open or if your middle of the field will be closed. And by rotating those players, you can kind of introduce trap ideas so what is cover three cloud instead of having that one deep safety take the center field the deep third in the middle of the field you'll have two deep safeties at the snap they'll both shift either to the left or to the right one will take the out let's say they shift to the the offense's left uh then one takes that left deep third the other one takes the middle deep third and the corner to the offense's right drops into the last deep third that frees up the other corner remember in traditional cover three both corners are dropping that other corner can now play the flat zone the underneath flat which has to be covered in cover three that typically would be covered by a linebacker or by a slot corner in traditional cover three so you're getting a cover three look on the back end but one of your corners this the offense's left side we're saying in this example gets to stay down in the field on the flat and that gives him the opportunity to read because he's covered behind him deep zone deep third is covered behind him gets him the opportunity to play with a lot of freedom in that flat zone so if you're expecting a slot option route to the offense's left hand side and you call cover three cover three cloud you can drop that corner into the flat in a way that perhaps if you disguise the coverage well enough Breeze and Michael Thomas won't expect. This is how uh, similar to how you saw Cincinnati trap it. Cincinnati did a little bit differently. But what we saw from Philadelphia's defense in recent weeks leads me to believe that that's how you could pull off that trap. What you will not see, I think, at all is the inverted Tampa 2 that they also use to try to trap the middle of the field because while the Saints throw it a good deal into the middle of the field, it's typically not in the intermediate area that that zone would affect. I love that breakdown. Very nice, Ben. Ben, one thing that I wanted to focus on before we uh, end this show is the Saints red zone concepts. Have you seen a red zone offense that does more things than the Saints right now? Because I wrote it up for BleedingGreenNation.com, and what you see is not only do, do you have all the fun stuff, like they'll throw the the screen to the to Michael Thomas where they got two guys. It's the same concept that the shield Eagles scored. Yeah, shield. There it is, the shield concept. That the uh, Eagles scored on the Giants with with Alshon Jeffrey, you got two guys blocking for the screen and behind them they use motion. What it's like, it's fun. They use the the biggest thing for me is the fact that uh, Jim Schwartz is going to have to prepare, and we've already alluded to him. But for Tyson Hill, Taysom Hill inside of the red zone, it's not just one concept with him. I think people aren't uh, don't realize how many different concepts they have with him. So they've got the read option. They'll ru- they'll run duo with it. They'll run QB power with him. They'll run straight outside zone with just 
Taysom Hill taking a direct snap. They'll put him wide out. They'll have Drew Brees as a wide receiver. They'll put Taysom Hill in tight doubles and have him block safeties. They'll do all of these different things with him. And last week against the Cincinnati Bengals, they threw in yet another wrinkle. And they threw in a, a deal where it was going to look like QB lead. And he ends up throwing a jump pass and just missed tight end Benjamin Watson on it. So there's so many different things when Taysom Hill is in the game and he's just capable enough as a quarterback, as a thrower, that you really have to respect that aspect of his game. Because every week it's like they throw something in new. Ben, against the New York Giants in the red zone, they threw a screen to Taysom Hill. Like there's so much that you have to prepare for. And you throw that in with the, with the stuff that we already talked about, the isolation routes to Michael Thomas and Kamara as a runner. And then they'll throw in stuff that'll, that'll mess with a secondary with the Eagles that is going to experience communication breakdowns because they're not used to working with each other. Uh, probably the first time they're really working with each other as starters. And they throw in all this switch release stuff from from tight sets. And uh, I even put it in an article, one concept was called uh, Skinner Return Burst, where they intersect each other a couple of times throughout the initial route stem. And they play against your rules and banjo coverage and can be really confusing for a defense to deal with. And there's elite talent there, too. There's so many different things that they can do to you. And it's just Jim Schwartz, for me, he should show up to this game gigantic bags under his eyes. Because he's got to be watching. There's so much to digest with this team and to game plan for. And then trying to communicate that and have your team ready for it when your secondary is includes Chandon Sullivan and Trey Sullivan and Bless. Like old butt Corey Graham. How do you how do you deal with that? So, uh, Ben, what did you see from the red zone offense? If if I missed anything, because again, they're they're no. so freaking much. So this is right. This is this is the the key point. I don't know if you remember. Um, uh, so there was a there was a, a clip that went around last year, and it was of the New England Patriots offense. Uh, excuse me, it was of the New England Patriots defense in a red zone situation where they were lined up with a certain personnel, um, mm-hmm. and it was a personnel all year that they had just blitzed out of like constantly. They just like sent six, um, and they were winning a game by like a bunch. It was late in the game, and Belichick put that personnel out on the field. And he, like, dropped everybody into coverage. And the team yep. very easily scored. Or they, like, ran or, like, some sort of screen. And they picked it up. And it didn't matter to the outcome of the game at all. But the clip was shown to say, Belichick is out here breaking tendency. And breaking yep. tendency has become this big, like, thing that, like, a lot of more coaches are paying attention to. It's not like they never were. But it's, like, with the analytics now, it's become a huge thing. Whereas if you typically run the same look out of the same personnel, for example... Philadelphia on third and shorts running blitz cover zero with man coverage, which is something that you've complained about, and and I'm starting to get on the horse complaining about with these running back flat routes. Hello. Um, yeah, <laughs> in a game in which there is little consequence regarding the result of the play. By the way, is you, that what I sound like? Is that like yeah, that dopey look? No, that's, I've been working on that voice for that's my voice for literally everybody. Okay, let's not let's not act like I worked on that here. Well, you nailed it, but I'm proud of you. Continue. If you. <laughs> Or in a game, a play without consequence, you can tout out that personnel that has a very strong tendency to it and run a play call outside of tendency, and it dilutes the numbers. So when teams look back and they say, oh, out of 12 personnel at the goal line, you know, they ran the ball 75% of the time. Well, if you get four passing plays in there, you're really not in the red zone that often. You know what I mean? You can get that number down to 60%. Right. You get that number down to 65%. Anything helps. And you're yeah. at the point now where the, the correlation is not as strong and the, the defense can't be as prepared. This anecdote goes to show the most valuable thing about Taysom Hill, who I hate and resent a great deal, is that he breaks tendency. Yep. There is, he he brings, he's a good athlete. He brings nothing in terms of passing 
running, or receiving that they don't have from other players. He brings no skill to the table besides his multiplicity, which is also, also like, greatly exaggerated. Like, he's not like this... Which is being slightly athletic and slightly accurate, but just enough. By protein numbers, he's actually, like, pretty athletic. He's a good athlete. But what doesn't matter is, like... Well, when you're talking about him as a runner, if we compare it to, like, running backs, that's... He... NFL level, he does not have NFL level passing ability, NFL level running ability, or NFL level receiving ability. Right. But because he has all three to a similar degree, he has <laughs> NFL level multiplicity, and yeah. this is what causes the problem. It is so difficult to get a tag on the uh, to get tendencies on the the Saints red zone offense because they put Taysom Hill in there and they do the wackiest <laughs> I have ever seen. Right? It's just like. With, they, they got like they put a three quarterback set at one point or something like that. They had Bridgewater in there for God's <laughs> sakes, right? Like what? How do you like? I have no idea how to chart that. I don't know what that means. Like that's right. a different language. It's <sighs> so you can't get a peg on what they're gonna do, right? So you get into the red zone and you're immediately on your heels because you know you're standing there with your little like personnel cards. You get your guy charting on the sideline, getting ready to like you know like all right, they're in twelve personnel, and they send out three quarterbacks, and one of the quarterbacks is probably a tight end actually. So like, what is it? What do you say? What are they gonna do? You know, they could be empty, they could be heavy. You have no clue. So there's what like you 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 run your base goal line defense and you get beat. And then and then Ben, while you're trying to figure this out, while they're coming out of the huddle, Drew Brees sees that you're slack and trying to figure out who and he is quick who. Snaps. And then they quick snap. They have three touchdowns this year off quick snaps, and they'll even do stuff where they like they'll have they'll come out in five wide, and Kamara will like lazily motion like he's going to be like a running back line up to the left. And then while the defense is communicating on their heels, boom! You saw it against the Vikings, a little touch pass and a touchdown. Like you have to be prepared as they break the huddle for all of this wacky stuff. It's insane to me. So Ben, I had I had multiple <laughs> moments where I was charting the Rams offense where I was kind of like screw this and none more <laughs> than when they came out on the first play against Cincinnati on whom they would eventually hang 51, 51. points yeah and they ran split zone yeah with Taysom Hill as the H back who was blocking yeah <laughs> right how dare you it's the first play of the game what are you doing like how obnoxious like you that is that, that play is like one bajillion percent like oh we're gonna open with this play like, this is like the first play of the script what do you guys want to do like yo what if we start with two quarterbacks but we have one block like are you kidding i was offended <laughs> So with all of that in mind and the pain in the butt that dealing with this Saints offense is going to be, you hope they get too wacky for their own good and they they leak some some points and some efficiency that way. But you look at this line, it's at 56 and a half over under. They're expecting a shootout here. The Eagles, I'm looking at um, no free ads, but the site I'm looking at has the Eagles at at eight and a half point dogs. So they're still a little bit uh, late to react to the trends because it's at nine now, you said, from what you were looking at? Yeah, last number I saw uh, for Action Network, which is how I track lines, had them at nine. I'll check right now. I'm going to just do some quick math on that. I'm going to call it 32-24 is what Vegas is roughly saying it is. It's close enough. Ben, over under 32 points for this New Orleans Saints offense in the Dome. Man, I have no idea how they stop. Like I said, like fire zones, <laughs> what you're looking at, but I really just don't know. I mean, gotta get lucky. A point where, listen, like obviously, <laughs> here's so here's here's a question. Actually, I, I meant to ask this earlier and I forgot to. Yeah. But I'm I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. So, Sidney Jones is back. Hypothetical. He's been playing in the slot. 
you need an outside corner. You'd like for Cindy to eventually be able to give you outside corner reps. You'd like for him to have that versatility. So you think about maybe playing him for his first time at outside corner. Listen, Thomas lines up in the slot a fair bit, so he won't always get Thomas. Okay, whatever. You have no Jalen Mills, so your only other corners are Rasul and Avante Maddox and Shannon Sullivan. Do you consider Mm. having Cindy Jones mirror Michael Thomas? None of your other corners have a chance against him. None of them right? do. Sydney's the only one with a chance in that situation. Sydney can, if you're going to play Sydney on the outside, he's going to see Thomas anyway. He's better in the slot right now. Thomas is going to go into the slot. It would be super fascinating to me if Sydney did well in that position. And I'm talking, right, I'm talking a good game for Sydney in that position is like 13 targets, eight catches, 75 yards, and you could even give up a touchdown. I would be like, yo. Sydney kind of held up pretty well in that situation it, against it, Michael be, Thomas, who we talked about being insane this year. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. It's it's to me. It's just the sense of like if you want to communicate to the team that you are still doing everything you can to win, mm. you probably like your bet. What's your best bet at corner? Is it maybe maybe you want to play Maddox when he, on him when he's in the slot and Sydney when he's outside? I mean, maybe. I, I mean, well, I mean, you could you, you could do what they did against the New York Giants. Where they, where they had a lot of cone bracket on him, no matter where he was, no matter where he is on the field, you put Maddox over top and on the inside. See, I firmly disagree with bracketing Michael Thomas. I'm going to tell you exactly why. Hit me with it. Because Corey Graham and Trey Sullivan are going to get burned on a double move and you have nobody to tackle him. No, not Corey Graham. I'm not bracketing with Corey Graham. Who you you can't bracket do. with Jenkins and you have Corey Graham and Trey Sullivan and your other safeties. We can put back there. You can put Maddox back there. As your free safety again, and bracket with Sidney Jones and Maddox. Michael Thomas is gonna have like two, three inches on both of them. Here's what I think is a terrible idea. Tell me the terrible idea. Thinking any of our our ideas are going to stop Michael Thomas. This is true. <laughs> this is true. But this is like this is what has this is what has to have been happening in the in the building for the past two weeks. All right, like what are we gonna right. do to this guy? So yeah, I I thought about like all right, bracket him. But then number one, you're pretty much forcing yourself into man coverage elsewhere, which means either Bradham or Jenkins on Kamara. All the time, which is going to be the exhausting. only other thing that scares me about that is is Kamara. It's not like they have like a deep, but like I like Traquan Smith again, but he's a rookie, a third round rookie. I I get that. You can Man. devote those resources to Michael Thomas. Your main issue then is Kamara, or do you take like the New England Patriots uh, approach to stopping the Rams, knowing that the offense really does through the run game and through the pass game throw through Alvin Kamara? Do you dump your resources there? And I don't know, put put the shade your shade your deep coverage that way. Not necessarily a bracket towards Michael Thomas's side. Like, it, it, would that be more effective? Trying to take Kamara out of the game first and just being more preventative against Thomas. When Traquan Smith buries it's a Traquan Smith Sullivan. big <laughs> when, when, when Traquan Smith buries just absolutely buries Chandon Sullivan for like five catches. 160 yards and two touchdowns, right? 90 yards of which came on two go routes. Yeah. We're going to look at it and be like, well, there was no freaking answer, right? <laughs> and this is why the Saints wanted a Des Bryant so badly. Because like, obviously I think Smith has been playing well. I think he's okay. Yeah. He's Obviously he's never had a game with more than three receptions. I acknowledge that. But I think like on tape, Smith still looks like a good deep threat. He's not going to have a game where he's going to have a better opportunity for targets in this game. Right. They need him to become that wide receiver too. So yes, I am putting money on the Traquan Smith breakout game. But the moral of the story is do a bunch of different things. Yeah. Run some, some you know, cover three cloud. Run some coverages that break tendency that look weird. 
and get fortunate on big plays and turnovers like we talked about. Like That's what it's got to be. If you come out with your eight-man in the box, cover three, cover one that you like to play all the time, they're going, Drew Brees is going to throw for 450 yards. Bank that. Like, it, it, it will be a bloodbath. We do not have the personnel to do that right now. Ben, I think that covers it. I think that covers our feelings on the matter. Try this a whole bunch a of stuff one. and hope you get lucky and make plays when they're available. If there's a fumble on the ground, you have to get it. And you have, gonna, to, you, have to, you have to make big plays when it we're matters. We're going to look back on this game, which will be won by the Eagles, 48-45, to 45, and call it the Carson Wentz breakout game. Like, this was the game that we all knew he was going to take over the league. Like, if the Eagles win this game, it will be because Carson Wentz decided he was supplanting Drew Brees in the pantheon of quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which we will talk about tomorrow on the Eagles offense versus Saints defense preview show. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiston Solak show here on Bleeding Green Nation. We do appreciate you swinging by. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As I said, it's going to be the Saints defense against the Eagles offense for the Friday show. Of course, the BGN show with uh, Gowton and Stolness will be dropping for you guys as well around that time. So make sure you catch both so you can get all of our predictions and analyses on the game. And then, of course, uh, post-game, you will find us on Monday breaking down what happened. Thank you, as always, for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. As we've been saying, SB Nation building up all of their team podcast sites. So those ratings and reviews do mean a good deal towards us and towards our future sponsors. So please go ahead and log on to iTunes if you like the show and tell us how much you like it. Make it funny so I can read it on the air. We will catch you guys tomorrow. We all we got, we all we need, Fly Eagles Fly. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.